Um, you know, and we're broadcasting live in the greater Puget Sound region, and we're also streaming to CHDTV. I want to thank all the folks who generously give every month um, and whatever they can to make this show possible. Um, it's because of listeners that we're here trying to bring you information that you need to live an informed life. Uh, I'm going to pull on quick um, our guest who is here, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler. Uh, before I even give an introduction to this awesome man, I'm going to let listeners know that I'm, I'm in Tennessee right now in the middle of a, a pretty big storm and the power's flickering. So, but you're in good hands with, uh, we're going to call him Dr. Jack. And if I, if I disappear, well, you're going to, you're in for a treat. because He knows, he knows the business here. <laughs> you know, I love you, Bernadette. Thanks for having me. She yeah. said one minute ago, by the way. If this dies, you're on for two hours. Yeah. But, but Javier is going to join us. All right, there he is. There he is. He, he made it on, too. Hello, Great. Dr. Javier. Good, good to see you. There he is. We'll give you a few minutes to get your sound going. Oh, now he can hear us. Now I can hear you guys. Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, so yes, welcome to live radio in the midst of, of, of weather and technology glitches and the whole thing. This is what exactly. we do. Yeah. So I'm really excited, though, about um, the two hours that we've got scheduled today. So we're going to break it up into two blocks. We're going to give you some information that you need to know that's, uh, uh, you know, a little bit annoying. And then we're going to have the second hour just total empowerment. It's going to be amazing. We're going to show you where places you can go to get fantastic ed education and totally empower yourself. Absolutely. To move toward a great future for you and your family. Um, so ha anyway, I guess I should just uh, do a little bit of the intro, and I don't have it at my fingertips. I should, but Dr. James Lyons Weiler, PhD. He is a scientist, a researcher, a professor. Um, he has IPAC, which is the Institute for Pure and Applied Knowledge, and they do independent research funded by the people for the people. And now he also has IPAC-EDU, which is an online uh, university for the people. And that's what we'll be talking about in the second hour. He's multi-published, very highly respected. I mean, I know some people out there that names you, I won't be name dropping on you, Jack, but there's people that a lot of our listeners know and love and highly respect who call you on certain subjects that they need to know. You know, the yeah, most, most mostly Pierre Corey if he needs bail money or something like that. You know, whatever. <laughs> I'm here, guys. Give me a call. Yeah, yeah. Give him a call. So, um, in the state of Washington, um, that background noise is, is Javier trying to get his mic and camera set up. You might want to mute until you're ready to go there, Javier. <laughs> um, Yesterday, there was a, at the, the Washington State Department of Health has an vaccine advisory committee, okay? 
I'm going to read to you all what their purpose statement is. The purpose of this committee is to provide recommendations to the Washington State Department of Health on issues related to the use of vaccines and other medications. Oh, hold on, I'm just stopping up a minute. Other medications? I've never heard them speak about other medications in the many years I've been following them. Anyway, and other medications for the public health response to infectious diseases and for current management of vaccine preventable diseases across a person's lifespan. The rationale, current clinical expertise and recommendations provided by healthcare providers experienced in relevant fields of vaccinology, preventive medicine, vaccine preventable disease management, pediatrics, infectious disease, epidemiology, internal medicine, and family practice will provide guidance to the Department of Health and, and inform the strategic implementation of vaccine usage and vaccine administration at the clinical level. Um, so that, that's the group that had the advisory meeting yesterday. And I've been attending their meetings for years now. Um, and it can be really interesting if you don't, I'm going to call him Jack, Dr. Jack, um, to attend these meetings and get to know these individuals. Um, there's been times when I've been extremely frustrated with feeling like they just not looking at the full picture of these, of what these shots do, can and do, not really examining them as products. Um, and other times this, this same committee, although it's a little bit different makeup, has done some amazing things. Like once when they looked at the outbreak of mumps happening in Washington state several years ago, they saw that it was being driven by vaccinated students in schools. It was not being driven by the non-vaccinated children. And so they actually changed state policy that unless they're shown otherwise, there wouldn't be automatic exclusion of non-vaccinated children at times of mom's outbreak. I was just, it was beautiful. I'm like, I actually cried. I was like sitting there in tears. Um, because I felt like this is fantastic. They can listen to good information and make good decisions. And they knew at the time they made this decision, they were maybe for the first time in US history at the state level, making a recommendation that conflicted with CDC recommendation. But since that amazing moment, um, there's been few and far between where I've had that moment of wow and applaud. <laughs> Yesterday, there was no applause anywhere coming from Bernadette. Um, and, and to start with, Jack, what I want to do for viewers here, I'm going to go ahead and share with you do this. I'm going to play for you, share tab. We've got the, let's see if I get the right one. I'm going to bring to you, here we go. And I'm not going to make the video too big. I do have the slides for this. But yesterday, CHD did stream the Vaccine Advisory Committee meeting. And I am going to play for you the time when they um, said the conflict of interest statement. And then somebody actually spoke up. So let's listen to this. Thank you, Dr. Quanget. Uh, for the record, my name is Hannah Feeback. I'm a, a support staff for this committee. 
So our declaration states that decisions made by committee members should always be based solely on the best interest of the department and the people of Washington State. Decisions should not be influenced by personal financial interest or by other extraneous considerations. Any affiliation with an organization having fundamental goals that conflict with the department and back mission should be avoided. Any current or previous, which is defined as within two years, or future potential conflict of interest should be disclosed at the beginning of each back meeting. A potential conflict of interest exists when a committee member has a relationship or engages in any activity or has any personal financial interest which might impair their independence or judgment or inappropriately influence their decisions or actions concerning back matters. A potential conflict of interest exists and should be disclosed if the committee member has a relationship with an entity that benefits financially from the sale of vaccines, such as a consultancy, serving on a speaker's bureau, receiving honoraria, research, or travel support, <clears throat> owns a material financial interest in any business that provides or seeks to provide goods or services to the department, serves as an officer or participates on the board or committees of other related professional societies that receive direct financial benefit from the sale of vaccines, has an affiliation with an organization that has a financial interest in fact recommendations, or has an affiliation with an organization that has a competing activity. Each committee member has a high duty and obligation to disclose to the entire committee any potential conflict of interest and to abstain from any decision where a significant conflict of interest exists. Ultimately, it is the responsibility of the entire committee to determine what, if any, limitations on activities with regard to the committee members conflict are required to protect the VAC. And at this point, I will stop and pause and see if anyone has any potential conflicts to declare. And I'm also gonna pause uh, stop sharing that for just a bit. Um, so you, you heard the conflict of interest statement. One thing I want to point out that's really interesting is they can sit, and I'd like to talk a little bit about the whole concept of conflict of interest, because the way they worded it is if anybody had any associations that conflicted with the mission of the VAC, the Vaccine Advisory Committee. Well, the mission of the Vaccine Advisory Committee is to increase vaccination rates, to spread vaccination. You know, that's their mission, which is interesting. But then the second part of their, their mission and that they said um, there could be a conflict because their mission is also to serve Washington state people. The problem that we see, of course, is that their mission to increase vaccination rates without considering unintended consequences, risks, or anything actually conflicts with their other statement of trying to help the people of Washington State. <laughs> you see where I'm going? It's very frustrating. Okay, so now I want to share with you, before we move on, bear with me just a bit, we're going to move on to the member roster, okay? So these are the people on the Vaccine Advisory Committee. Now, each of you feel free to speak up if when I read just who this person is, if you feel like given that 
conflict of interest statement if you perceive they may have a conflict of interest. So we've got the chair, who is Dr. Tao Kwan Gat, who's the chief science officer of Washington State. Do we see anything there? No? Okay. How about managed care? This is Dr. John Dunn at Kaiser Permanente. Permanente. Nothing stated, yeah. No, what I mean is, do you see any conflict? I mean, aside from... Aside from working for Kaiser Permanente? Yeah. Okay, so, <laughs> I mean, Kaiser Permanente is the number one vaccine risk and injury denial institution uh, west of the Mississippi. They're the West Coast CDC. They do, this is, they, this is the, the institution that has control over the vaccine safety data link right. that the public's not allowed to uh, analyze data from, and also Tom Shimabakuro works with them, and he's the guy that made a report to the Verbach Committee at the national level uh, that said that there were no, they, they analyzed all the COVID data in the VSD, which is a compendium of data from multiple hospitals and institutions, mostly of which is Kaiser Permanente Control, mm -hmm. and he reported, I think it was uh, June 2000, mid-June 2021, that they, he could find no association with COVID-19 with any deaths and no association with COVID-19 with any serious adverse events for that matter, no association with COVID-19 for any adverse events. You mean COVID-19 vaccines? Yes, COVID-19 yeah, vaccines. Yes, yes. And two days later after his report, the FDA issued their warning on myocarditis from the vaccine. Mm -hmm. That's how good and reliable the information coming from Kaiser Permanente controlled, CDC controlled vaccine safety data link is. Yeah. Okay. So I think we're in agreement that that is troubling there. And another thing I want to point out to listeners who are new to really thinking closely about what conflict of interest is, it does not mean that you've got your hand under the table taking a bribe. It does not mean that. It could mean that. But really what it means is you've got this mindset of working with and around and for individuals or entities that that influence even you know your thought and behaviors and your choices so if you're in this organization that this is what they do you, you can't even see when something might be influencing your behavior that's why it's not good to, to, to have these associations because it's really difficult to see when you're being influenced. The studies have shown that something as simple as being handed a pencil um, can influence somebody's behavior. Okay, so then we've got the American Indian Health um, Commission for Washington. I don't see that as necessarily as a conflict, just representing the, the natives. State agency health care purchasers. That's an interesting one. Um, the National Association of Hang on, hang on, hang on okay. Bernadette. Yeah. Uh, it's worth digging into the American Indian Health Commission for, yeah. for Washington. Oh. Okay. Simply, I don't have the answer to it, but I think it's a matter of a web search to find out how much money they receive from CDC or the state of Washington to oh. encourage uh, vaccination, specifically under the moniker of access to health care. Right. Yes. So this is... So this is the way that CDC gets their hooks into uh, minority populations, 
uh, populations that are hard to reach because they don't want to come to the hospital because they won't trust medicine. And I would, I would put money on it, so to speak, that there's not a big grant to that organization from either the department uh, that we're looking at, uh, the Department of Health in Washington State, or directly from the CDC uh, to encourage vaccination to uh, under the moniker of access to health care. Right. Now, this is an interesting point because there's actually, this is about conflicts of interest, right? So if they say, here, we're going to grant a million dollars, which they did in Allegheny County, over a million dollars uh, to grant to the, to the Allegheny County Board of Health in, in Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania, to uh, encourage and, and empower access to health care, then it's a fair thing for the population to ask, what healthcare? Which healthcare organizations in Western Pennsylvania? It's going to be University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. It's going to be Allegheny County General. It's going to be the big hospitals, the tier one hospitals that they're trying to bring people into. It's not going to be individual practitioners. It won't be chiropractors. It won't be doctors of osteopathy. It won't be anything like that at all. It'll simply be, oh, we're running a vaccination bus out to the site. That's what it'll be. So it's really worth looking into whether they're there because they've received money. If they didn't receive money, it's fair enough question whether they would even bother to be there. Yeah. And, and let's not forget the CARES Act with all its strings attached not only to the, uh, to the schools, but the requirement for vaccination and vaccination programs, mm -hmm. mask wearing associated with each of those programs. Yeah. Yeah. So um, thank you. I. I completely forgot about that. And yes, there's definitely federal and state money going to this and other populations that they describe as, as underserved. Um, and I don't want to spend a whole, there's more to listen to in that video. So I, I believe if we went down, we could probably spend an hour on each of these. But, you know, we've got a lot of representation of individuals who are either on the receiving end of something um, some sort of funding and grateful, you know, to the information there and the funding they're being given. Which... Well, I, I can I can knock two of them out right now. So uh, yeah. the Washington Academy of Family Physicians and the Washington chapter of the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics. Yeah. I was in Columbus, Ohio, and there were doctors there just a, two days ago. I was at a major event. And the expression that one of the doctors used was, Pediatricians wouldn't be able to make any money if they didn't vaccinate. Yeah. They literally can't make enough money to keep their practices afloat without vaccines. So that's not yeah. a conflict of interest. I don't know what is. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and then we've got WASALPO, the Washington State Association of Local Health Officials. We could go on and on and on with each of these, um, you know, but again, it's really interesting. And we've got like Dr. Ed Marcuse. Um, he used to sit on the federal ACIP. Um, in, interesting, kind gentleman. I've had many in-person discussions with him uh, back in the day when you actually could go to these things in person. And several of these, you know, it, it's it, it's really interesting when you can get there and have those human-to-human -human relationships. I really felt like pre-COVID, there were times when we were beginning to find common ground and respect each other as individuals. Um, and other times, you know, with certain individuals, not so much. But, you know, 
um, those days seem to be gone and it seems like the rift between trying to find that common ground has been split even more uh, with COVID. Um, so anyway, but one I wanted to point out to you because we're, we're about to listen is a brand new member um, representing the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, Dr. Alyssa here. So what I'm gonna do, um, go ahead and bring on that, um, that audio clip again. And let's see. Okay, here we go. So we're just going to continue listening to this. There was that pause, and then I um, it's not nothing personal, but I am a co-I on um, studies that are sponsored by Merck and Pfizer. but not a PI. Thank you, Dr. Kachikis. Could you explain to maybe some of our committee members? Um, I said she's not the PI, she's a co-I, so I guess that's okay. Yeah. The other thing, the entire thing here is, yeah. as long I as mean, they disclose uh, it, it's yeah. okay. Hold on, Jack, wait, wait yeah. You said um, you're a not oh, co-investigator. It's not, um, I don't, I didn't write the grants. I'm not like the primary investigator, but I am participating in studies that have to do with um, COVID-19 or other vaccines in pregnancy, RSV or COVID-19 um, in pregnancy. And one of them is sponsored by Merck and one is sponsored by Pfizer. <laughs> that's our, That's already, those exactly. should be grounds to actually and basically so say our, you can't be um, on there. Policy or uh, declaration states. I'll open it up to Dr. Cronkett and the rest of the committee um, to determine if that should um, limit Dr. Kachikis's participation today. Um, I would just, before I do that, note that we are not making any decisions today or any formal recommendations. So it's just an update and discussion day. But so I'll go ahead and, and pause, and there, there's a little can, can bit more stop? back and forth. Yeah, go ahead. I want you to listen to the tone of the voice of the woman who's speaking. This is something that happens in academia where in the 1980s and 1990s, women who wanted to fit in better and to be able to become pop, they remember the power suit? Remember the powers? Do you remember the, sh the, the, the shoulder, shoulder pads? Remember those? What she's doing is she's artificially talking like this. It demasculizes her voice. It, it's annoying. So pardon me if I just mute here and just use your natural voice, people. You have beautiful voices. You were born with wonderful, beautiful voices. Don't do this. If you're a lady, don't go like this and make it sound like you're talking with authority. My God. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, my my thought, I mean, uh, to me, I'm, my mind is so blown that they would invite anybody who's working on studies for Merck and Pfizer. And then you add just the whole mindset that any research scientist, and I, I don't want to malign her personally, but any to me, any research scientist who thinks it's ethical to test these products on pregnant women and infants, when you look at the, the infection targeted, and the fact that treatments exist and the data on, on risk of, 
of COVID-19 in these populations, it's so unethical to be experimenting on them. And so her entire mindset shows that she's oblivious, that she's in the whole religion cult of, of vaccines are always good and we have to test them even when the risk um, of the target infection is so low in the population of testing. But they, they went on to just say, yeah, we're not voting on anything today. We're not making any decisions so she can participate. True and never fall off it. He had a conflict of interest with the vaccine, yeah. uh, specifically an approval of vaccine recommendation. And, and he participated in the discussion, but recused himself from the vote. Right. So this is how academics and people in this, um, you know, industry government complex, that this is how they do their conflicts of interest. They call it managed conflicts of interest. As long as it's talked about and some excuses brought up like, oh, we're not making any decisions today. Well, she might actually influence other people's votes. She should not be in the room. I agree with Javier. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It should not be there. Um, Hold on, I've got more here. Okay, then I'm going to pull up for us. Sorry, I'm so awkward at this. I'm going to go ahead and, and share a, a little bit more from yesterday's meeting. This is going into their COVID-19 VAX plans. Um, we're hearing. Um, We've probably seen a lot of new ads oh, on the TV. I want to start um, there. Let me go back a little bit. Um, still getting requests uh, weekly. And um, you can see here the breakdown of the different trips and the counties that are large order quantities um, or the minimum dose order sizes that uh, the vaccine was being shipped in from the, the manufacturer or from um, our federal partners. And it also allowed providers to transfer doses there um, if they anticipate using all of the, the vials. And so to date, um, a total doses transferred from the depot providers is over 700,000 doses. And also um, the, the number of different providers interacting with these depots is close to 600 different providers. And then um, the total transfers made from these depots to providers is over 4,000. So a lot of um, great, partnership and communication going on between providers in the area and those depot sites. Finding that um, resource extremely helpful and has also been kind of stood up as a best practice for other, other states. They've been calling and asking us questions about how we um, stood them up, the process, um, and just any kind of information that we could share with them so they could implement something similar in their state. Next slide, please. So I, I, I want to kind of talk to you just real quick, guys. The fact that, you know, these are for-profit yet liability-free products. And here we've got the Washington State Department of Health having a meeting, funding the cost of whatever this meeting is to have, pulling all these people together with the state talking about how they are funding and the federal government money funding too. All of this for billion-dollar profitable products being pushed out there. I just I just wanted to make sure that everybody's remembering um, that because sometimes you're watching all this stuff and it seems very dry and then it's like very boring and infuriating at the same time. 
This is a long list of the COVID vaccine plans that either have been written or are in progress or that we plan to start um, focusing on soon. Um, currently uh, finalizing the baby peas plan, um, anticipating that uh, launch if it's approved. Um, also gonna be are finalizing or wrapping up the agriculture worker plan um, and then really thinking about pregnant people plan um, and how we can think about different strategies um, for this population. Another one that we're working on is the rural population plan. So lots of ideas, lots of conversations happening with all partners um, to really get input and, um, and make sure that, our, that we're bringing the community along with the planning of these um, different focus areas. I'm gonna go ahead and, and stop that. So um, your, your comments, gentlemen, there, first of all, she was talking about vaccinating pregnant people. And what were we just, the conflict of interest in the, the co-investigator for Merck and Pfizer on vaccines and pregnant women? So no, right? Right off the get-go, we got the conflict is right there. Well, I want to be clear that just because somebody's doing research in a particular area doesn't imbue with them a conflict of interest. So if I'm in the tropics and I'm studying the tropical ecology of of birds and, and you know it's rare birds in the Amazon or just studying that, and then there's a conservation biology organization that is discussing disbursement of funds towards conservation. And we're asked to, are you going to just you know do any conflicts of interest here? And tell us your conflicts of interest. A conflict of interest there. Well, I'm researching it. I'm doing conservation biology. I pay my mortgage with my money for my research grant. So yeah, I have a conflict, but it's an aligned conflict of interest that's positive and good. And that's what these people are thinking. It really doesn't matter that I have a conflict of interest because it's for the greater good. But in reality, if I have a, say, a, I own a lot of stock in an oil company and I'm, we're, they're making a decision of, are they gonna put an oil pipeline through Brazil? And I say, I'm on that board. Yes, I'm a conservation bi bi a biologist, and I own stock in an oil company that's putting a pipeline through, and I don't disclose it, uh, that I'm hiding it. And I'm in there, and I'm going, well, wait a minute, I don't think this is that bad. I'm convincing other people. You could probably vote to allow it this time. It's going to be okay. And I've disclosed a conflict of interest. I carry a lot of authority. I'm the person that does the research on the birds that we're trying to save. So it's very, very inappropriate. It's not just a little inappropriate, it's woefully inappropriate in this context where there is risk management being minimized. The understanding perception of risk is being minimized uh, by points of, uh, by people in the room who then go off and benefit individually in their careers also by doing research on the same topics, even if it's not the same vaccine, the general idea of safety Let's say one out of every five pregnancies ended up in, oh, wait a minute, something bad with COVID-19 vaccines. That number sounds familiar, but you didn't hear that in the scientific literature. But let's say that were, ha that were happening. One out of five there. How many women are then going to go, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to take the Tdap during pregnancy. You see, these companies, they approve each other's vaccines and they don't dare step on each other's toes because then they open up markets because they have a, a vaccine in the pipeline too. Yeah. So, you know, the, yeah. the, there's a this is all fake. They shouldn't be involved in this discussion if they're, they have ties to the vaccine manufacturers at all. Yeah, exactly. And oh, am I not sharing? Am I stop sharing? Sorry about that. Um, 
Yeah, Javier, what have you got to say on that? I'm going to pull up the next thing to share. Oh no, 100% agreeing with with Jack over over here. Um, you know, there there's so many subtleties to conflict of interest that uh, you need to really tease them out. And if you're actually going to have an advisory board worth its uh, worth its salt, you need to have people that are truly they, they have no dog in the fight, so to speak. And it has to be some. It has to be a group of people that are selected uh, randomly mm-hmm. from a population of you know well-versed. Uh, they don't have to be experts, but they at least need to be aware of the risks and the benefits associated with it. And what's impressive is how the uh, vaccine advisory board is proceeding with such a dearth of basic information and long-term information. That's really the most egregious part in all of this. They're moving ahead with so little information and in the face of so much contradictory evidence showing harm. Yes, they, but that, this is a systemic problem. There are no checks and balances in public health. The, this vaccine advisory committee looks at the information sent to them by the higher power, by the gods and the bishops and the popes above, in the CDC and the FDA and the NIH, they take it as gospel and they push it out. There's no questioning. When they make a decision, it might be on, you know, the timing of the marketing or, you know, uh, you know, where we're going to send the bus next, you know, with, with shots. It, it is not to examine critically anything. They don't question anything. It's very frustrating. Um, yeah, so some other language to put in there is that, you know, there's longstanding tradition in societies, Western societies, Eastern societies, Native American societies, to have an adversarial system, to establish an adversarial system. So there is tension, specifically tension yields a creative outcome, because if you have the interest of party A, and they overrule always and exclusively and silence the interest of party B, then why even bother having the meeting? Just go ahead and be the dictators and do what you're doing. Well, you're going through these motions because they have to by law, but this is not an adversarial, it's not even set up right to be an adversarial system. I'm a patient advocate sometimes. I've had the pleasure and honor of being a patient advocate for 17 cancer patients over the past 10 years. And believe me, the doctors sometimes really do need to have adversaries against their ideas. It's not adversaries against the doctor, adversaries against their ideas. Okay, are these people so frail that they can't have their ideas challenged? This is the the, the point of an adversarial system is that you have pressure A, and then you have pressure B, and together they come together, you, you reach some impasse, maybe you're this far down the line, or you're, maybe you're this far on the side, but then some creative solution has to be found. Mm-hmm. And that creative solution is how we get anywhere in the name of progress. And so, yeah, there's no checks and balances, that's by design, yeah. but right. it's, even, it's, even, it's even just a futile exercise because there's no adversarial process. Exactly. I agree. We need that red team, as a lot of people have kind of phrased that. So I, I, they do have the slides available. So it's interesting. And I'm sure this is every state, you know, in the union has similar things going on. So they've got the plans in progress. So the updated master plan with booster information, updated agricultural worker plan, the pediatric six-month to four-year-old plan, I mean, you know, as you listen to the meeting, they are fully expecting in June 
for the authorization to be given. They're, they've got everything lined up and ready. They've spent the money. They're going to be good to go. All you have to do is pull the trigger and say, you know, they, that it's authorized. They, they did this at the beginning before EUA was given to any shop. They had everything in place, ready to launch, just fully, you know, wagging the dog, what are all those expressions there? Uh, mass vaccination, operational plan, seafood, maritime worker plan, vaccine administration state to traditional healthcare settings, public to private future of COVID-19 vaccine purchasing, surge plan, um, you know, they've got a multi-state vaccine strategy monitoring, COVID-19 vaccine AAR, um, and upcoming priority population plans, rural population plan. They want to get to Eastern Washington specifically because their rates are way lower than Western. And the pregnant people plan, which is just absolutely outrageous to me. This, you know, this is what they're doing. They're just planning. Sorry, did, did you just say pregnant people plan? Pregnant people plan. What, what, I thought that only women could be pregnant. Yeah. Um, Let's not go down that rabbit hole right now, but I agree with you. Yeah, i just so opposed to all these language um, changes. It's so absolutely absurd. It really makes us feel like we're so in 1984 with this, the, the changing of the language. And then the, um, go ahead and move on down. I, oops, I'm not looking on the right page, and I can go ahead and scroll this down to what came next. Next are like these campaigns that go out, you know, certain people have severe disease. Some people have mild disease and it just reinfection happens. Just ridiculous. Um, my family's hesitancy rubbed off on me, but it didn't stop me. You know, all of these different campaigns they have um, that are, you know, like half truths um, or flat out lies. And um, then they moved on to a discussion about vaccinating with confidence, CDC strategy to reinforce confidence in COVID-19 vaccines. We, I mean, we, 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 how can you reinforce something that's not there? You can't reinforce confidence. They mean establish confidence. Anyway, go on. Well, I, you know, let's have a conversation. Exactly what you're saying is... <laughs> let's not improve safety. Not let's not look very closely at everything being reported, so that we can honestly tell people that they can be confident because we've actually told them everything. No, they're they're. It's a campaign to build confidence, not to improve safety. But you know that systemically is what's been happening with the vaccine program for decades. That's it's what's happening now too with the federal level. So I, I put out the word that we really, really have to keep an eye on the FDA this month. And I think we're going to talk about that later, but uh, keep an eye on the FDA this month over approval of the COVID vaccine for children under the age of five. And the right. only thing they have left is that we have to improve our message. Not that you actually, ha they had not enough data last month, but it, right, and they're not going to have enough data that now because I'll explain why in the, in the, in the future, near future here the show but all they have left is we just have to improve our messaging mm -hmm. no it's not about messaging it's actually you have to do science by, by law they have to do science and they have to meet certain standards of performance yeah. under that law and under those regulatory practices but go on yeah well i mean do you want to talk about that now because this first half of the show 
Oh, absolutely. So, and the second half is education. So go for it. <laughs> sure. So uh, those of you that have been distracted by Amber Heard and by Johnny Depp, and those of you who have um, gone back to mainstream media because of because of the war of Ukraine, Bernadette was one of the people who had, I had conversations with over what do you think they're going to do to make people forget about COVID once they got their vaccines in play? And I said, they're going to have a war. That's, I, I called it. I called it in 2021, in early 2021, I was telling people they're going to have a war. So who's they, right? I hate it when we talk about people who say they. The technological oligarchs who would like to spread control into your life through public health. They're in bed right now with the global communist agenda, the World Economic Forum. There's no doubt about that. They have found that the way to impose authoritarian uh, technocracy uh, is through public health. This is our weak spot, right? Because they can make people afraid. So, you know, a month and a half ago, there was a meeting and FDA said, look, at your, your data just aren't strong enough. We can't give you approval now uh, for Moderna and Pfizer for approval of the vaccine, COVID vaccines for kids under 85. So we'll wait till June. What's happening in June? People are going on their summer vacations all right, I'm thinking about we've got to get as much fun time in as possible and just need some news cycles. And I have an article on my Substack, Popular, uh, popular Rationalism, that says don't pay attention to these kinds of things, even, even in including the Roe v. Wade leak, because the Roe v. Wade leak, number one, doesn't carry any legal weight at all. Num number two, it could be false, could be absolutely fake. Uh, number three, even if they are going to issue a ruling like this and they're leaking it now, the only there's two reasons why they would leak it. One is, hey, it's going to take the sting out of the actual ruling, right? Give people enough time for it to kind of simmer and they don't you know, ri actually rise up and burn down this SCOTUS. And I'm not saying they should burn down the Supreme Court of the United States. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they, anybody should burn anything down. But uh, the other reason is that it's a hell of a distraction and empowers the liberal base to say, we're going to rise up and we're getting politically activated, but it's a distraction from our side, the conservatives, to say, oh, now we have something to fight for. Look, I have hope in this unrelated topic, completely unrelated, right? And so it, it, we have hope for if you're pro-life and you have hope over this and you're, you're being distracted by it. Stay focused on the FDA because... The FDA is in collusion with Moderna and in collusion with uh, Pfizer. We know that now, vaccine manufacturers, not to just give an EUA, but to give full-out approval. The children under five don't need the vaccine. They don't get COVID. They don't get serious COVID. They don't die from COVID. They don't, they're not a risk factor for transmission. So they have no individual benefit from COVID-19 vaccination. And the rules of the game are you can't approve a vaccine unless or a drug unless there's individual benefit. So if they're going to go with the logic of you need to vaccinate kids to protect other people, that's a change in the rules. Now, don't be distracted by that either, because that's easy to fix. That's easy to complain about. Hey, there's no benefit to my child. And that's argument number one to our children, argument number one. Now, they're coming up with other things that are happening to children. And they're saying, look, it's COVID that's doing it out of the blue. But, you know, that adenovirus potentially related hepatitis that's now found in 190 kids. Yeah. yeah. One of the people in one of those studies 
was doing a COVID-19 vaccine trial in children. So how many of these kids that have this are actually suffering from COVID-19 vaccination uh, induced hepatitis and how many of them got the adenovirus-based vaccine? If it's an adenal, right? So we have some questions there. Now, when, when, when FDA comes through and gives this approval in June, and unless you stand up and contact your, con uh, your federal congressman, your federal se senator, and say, no, there's no benefit to my child, what's going to happen? You're going to have, for the first time in the history of the United States, you're going to have a vaccine that's approved for children under the age of five, unrelated to any school attendance, unrelated to anything. It's just a mandate. When they give that just a mandate, the minute your baby is born, or if it's in pregnancy before, but the minute your baby is born, it takes their first breath. They are subject to being vaccinated, not just to COVID, but now there's a legal precedent by which the federal government can across the board, all 50 states say, hey, why not do that with the cheetah? Why not do that with MMR? Why not do that with varicella, chickenpox? And so this absolutely has to be stopped and the argument is as follows. There's no benefit whatsoever to my child, and there can't be any benefit to my child because kids don't get this and they don't get sick, right? Number one. Number two, the vaccine doesn't even do what it's, what it's supposed to do, right? The old arguments, right? people have forgotten these old arguments, the old truths that, number one, they're supposed to reduce transmission, prevent transmission, and supposed to reduce COVID. It doesn't do either one. The COVID diagnosis rates are as high or higher in the vaccinated than in the unvaccinated. And so these individuals that are going to try to get this as a FDA, full out FDA approval, are going for broke, this is their Hail Mary. Um, they're gonna have to answer to the fact that he didn't have it for the adults. You don't have enough data for mandate for the adults. Where are you getting the data for a population that doesn't even need the vaccine, right? Where it's, yeah, it's not gonna prevent transmission. It's not gonna prevent COVID diagnosis. It's not gonna prevent hospitalizations. Um, and what do they have as the outcome? What they're going to present are antibody levels. That's all they have. Antibodies to this to the genetically manipulated stabilized spike protein that the shot makes you generate, which doesn't make Let's exist. let's speak English. Hang on, I want to go back yeah. and speak English. <laughs> okay. It's antibodies to the Wuhan one virus. <clears throat> okay, the extinct yeah. Wuhan one virus. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now that's bad enough because you need it. if you're gonna have a vaccine that helps in any way, you have to have it against Omicron or Pinocron or Emnocron or whatever comes after, right? So they don't have antibodies. Kids that are vaccinated won't have antibodies to the right variant. And then we all know, we should know about antigenic shifting and drifting that's happening. It's a completely different spike protein now that's circulating in the, yeah. in the virus. But I want people to pay attention that right now, the day after Elon Musk pronounced that he was buying Twitter to make it a, a free speech platform, I was banned from Twitter over a post about Dr. Fantini's research. Dr. Fantini is an expert in computational molecular biology. He has this wonderful study, a full YouTube video, and on my substock, Popular Rationalism, I published the, my description of it, his video, and then the full transcript. That's how important this is, folks, because Dr. Fantini showed that from beta on, right? So you've got Wuhan, then you got alpha, then you got beta. From beta on, as the, as the um, spike protein from coronavirus comes close to the cell surface, if there's antibodies against Wuhan 1, you have antibody-dependent enhancement. Mm -hmm. So the vaccine has only ever been tested for ADE 
for the Wuhan 1 virus. Again, using Wuhan 1 in animals. So you try to infect Wuhan 1 with, in the animals if they have any Wuhan 1 antibodies. Hey, no problem. That's what Dr. Fantini says. If you did it with Wuhan 1 and alpha, no problem. Wuhan 1 and beta, now you have antibody-dependent enhancement that involves what's called a, an antibody protein complex that actually interacts with raft proteins on the surface of the cell, and it opens up that cell like, like magic. It enhances the invasion of the cell by the SARS-CoV-2 virus through the ACE2 receptor since beta. Now, when did that really take off? When they started vaccinating, we were up to Delta. And Fantini says, this is why Delta spread. We had, remember the major Delta surge in Europe. It was much more than the others, much more than again. And so you, you end up understanding now that what's going to happen is horrifying. You're going to vaccinate a bunch of kids and they're gonna get COVID for the first time. You're gonna start hearing about ventilation, children on ventilators, which you're not hearing about now. You're going to hear about COVID-19 related deaths that you're not hearing about right now. And they're gonna use that, all that to to add more fear and say, look, we need back even more shots. Right. You, you jump the gun because there's a more important point. No, there's a more important point behind that. Right there, yeah. you're gonna have hundreds of thousands of children die who are not currently dying. I said before, no one's dying from COVID. The probability of dying if you have COVID under the age of five is zero. So, so now you're gonna see this antibody-dependent enhancement. You're gonna see problems in the long run through pathogenic priming, but you're going to see these hundreds of thousands of deaths in children, and then they're going to use it to enhance the vaccination program. Oh, I better get my COVID vaccine because the kids are dying now, I have to do it. So it's really important that this is not a hypothetical. Okay, this is biological reality. When these kids start taking this vaccine, there's going to be some subset of them that are especially susceptible, number one, to antibody-dependent enhancement, and number two, pathogenic priming to long-term chronic disease. Dr. Pierre, um, sorry, Peter McAuliffe in Columbus, Ohio, I was at a meeting with him two days ago, and he said that this protein, and I agree with him, and I've, agreed, I've said this since April 20, 2022, this protein in this virus is probably the most dangerous toxin that we've ever injected into anyone. And they want to inject it into the children. So I can only do what I can do. I can educate you guys on what, what I think I see. You yeah. guys are gonna to have to pick up the phone. You're gonna to have to email, you're gonna to have to call. You're gonna to have to educate your senators and your congressmen that you don't wanna see 100,000 dead kids yeah. as a result of antibody dependent enhancement. Yeah. And it's not, they're gonna to try to say that the virus is evolving and now all of a sudden it's evolved the capacity to infect children better or to induce pathogenesis. It's more virulent to children Children. Wrong, 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 wrong. Antibody-dependent enhancement. Re tell them that we want to see animal studies now on antibody-dependent enhancement against Omicron and all the circulating variants right now, right, with antibodies uh, from Wuhan 1 because yeah. they're using a, a vaccine that is an extinct, a vaccine that, yeah. that's targeting an extinct virus. Yeah, very good, Jack, and I'm so glad you brought that up. And you know, we're going to try to get a post specific to this on informedchoicewall.org. I'll talk to you, Jack. I'll link to your Substack where you talk about this, and we'll see if we can get some um, some voices rolling here. Uh, we've only got like about a minute left, and I one thing I want to point out is one of the reason one of the reasons I was horrified that the FDA expanded the age at which you could give a child remdesivir down to 28 days old and weighing just seven pounds is because it's going to harm children. 
and they're going to blame COVID. And they're, I, I feel like they want to push demand for the COVID shots in children by giving more children. And the remdesivir is being authorized for mild to moderate COVID in those susceptible to severe diseases, how they're labeling it. But then we have the vice president of the United States who was asymptomatic, had four shots, asymptomatic, and she takes up that other drug, the Paxlovid, and it's not even recommended to her. You know, anyway, so much to talk about, but we're gonna go into positive steps the, the next hour. And then we also have a surprise guest at the end. We've got Dr. Henry Ely, um, Dr. H coming on. So everybody hang tight. We're gonna be back. I'm gonna take a break. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today we need a revolution there's only one solution
Hello and welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. Co-hosting with me today is Javier Figueroa. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hey, we are back. And you know, the, the first half of the show with Jack. Jack, Dr. James lyons is going to be coming back on here in a minute. I'm going to get some coffee, but he's going to come back. Uh, we focused on what public health is saying that is very frustrating. The money they're spending, the, the information they're pushing out there with no critical thinking and no checks and balances in the whole bank system. But this next hour, I'm going to give um, our listeners and viewers empowerment. This is, an, uh, this is the power hour here. Um, in the second half of the hour, we've got Dr. Henry Ely um, will be coming in to, to give us some great information. This first 30 minutes are going to be devoted to Dr. James Lyons-Weiler and IPAC-EDU. So just go to IPAC-EDU. Dot, is it dot com? Org. Dot, dot org. Dot org. I've got a tab up here for it. We can switch over here when we need to. But go ahead and explain why you started this online university. Tell people how affordable it is and let them know what they can learn. Okay. All right. So, so check it out. I'm, I'm a lifelong biomedical research scientist that wakes up by writing a chapter on vaccines and says, wait, this isn't science. This is garbage, right? And and the, the safe vaccine safety science just wasn't there. William Thompson con, Thompson confirmed it for me in his testimony, uh, his confessions to Brian Hooker, that they that they screened every study that came out of CDC for any language that yeah. put cast shade on vaccines. So I, mean, I hate to interrupt, but new listeners, especially in the Puget Sound Radio on AM radio, if you want to know what he's talking about, watch the documentary film Vaxxed, V-A-X-X-E-D, from uh, Catastrophe to Cover Up, and you will learn about William Thompson and or, or Brian Hooker. Or, or they can read it in my chapter in my book, Cures Versus Profits, because yes. actually okay. that, came out, that came out at the same time as Vax, technically. Uh, because I interviewed Dr. Brian Hooker for that chapter. My book is Cures Versus Profits. It's out of date. It's 2015. I wouldn't be able to write that book today. I'm, I'm far too far too gone in terms of you know trusting people in allopathy. Uh, but anyway, here I am, a, bi a lifelong biomedical research a researcher, and uh, COVID hits, right? COVID hits, everyone's losing their mind. People are locked down. They're stuck at home. The people have have very little chance to speak up in public. They have very little chance. So the rare uh, the rare opportunity that they do, they have to sort through information like, well, does the virus exist? That's a basic biology question, right? And then they have to sort through information like, well, it, it's just an exosome, because a biochemist compared a picture of an exosome to a virus, and the public barely knows what a virus is, and certainly doesn't know what an exosome is. I had already been teaching workshops on how to read and interpret scientific study, but and that was good. And Gracie had always told me, you need to go back to teaching. That's your true passion. You love it. And uh, I got to do some guest lectures here and there, including Michael Gata, uh, Michael Gata's course on cancer. And I went, you know, it kind of brought something out at the time. I said, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm on the back of a boat on Lake St. Clair, Michigan. Dad, Grace's dad's late, late dad's boat. He was he was uh, uh, 
killed by a lack of adequate treatment for COVID-19. But I was on the back of his boat last summer and I started shaking. I had so much, so much adrenaline. I started shaking. I physically couldn't stop shaking. Grace said, what's wrong? I said, I'm going to change the world. I know how to do it. I'm going to teach basic biology. I'm going to teach genetics. I'm going to teach environmental toxicology. I'm going to teach immunology. I'm going to teach whatever course it takes. And if I can't teach it, I'll hire other people and I'll do an online university, no certificates, no university credits, so that the public knows how to know whether a virus exists. The public knows how to find out and figure out whether an exosome and a virus are the same thing. And really empower the public so that when they stand at that pulpit, when they stand and they get their three minutes in public, they know 100%. They're 100% confident in what they're saying, and they're less likely to make fools of themselves, really. And, by the way, people are, people are locked down. People are isolated. Well, it's very, very true that people above 40 or 50, once your kids grow up, you get kind of isolated, especially in the retirement age. These elderly folks are terribly isolated. What's happened since then is we had a couple of courses with dozens of students, and we've exploded. We've got 16, cor 16 instructors in 26 courses. I just hired another um, a genetics professor. And I have mainstream academic intellectuals who want to make some money on the side coming to teach. I have, we're, we've got an epidemiologist that's going to be teaching courses. We've got a geneticist that's teaching courses. I'm as mainstream as you get when it comes to sticking to, you know, absolutely solid peer-reviewed, well-peer-reviewed science, I should say. Um, but now we have hundreds of students. I'm my immunology course, I have 107 students. That's, That's huge. Yeah. Dr. Brownstein's teaching a course holistic wellness. He beat me out by 10. He's got 117 students. <laughs> and, and, and the trajectory is that I think we're going to have thousands of students in the fall. And the best part about this is, is the model. The mo I love people. You know I love people. When I go to these events, I just love hanging out with people, giving them mm -hmm. hugs and so on. This is a live event. Each course, each class meeting is a live class meeting with your instructor with Q&A and discussion at the end. So guess what's happening? The emergent thing that's happening there is community. The students are starting to ask each other, what courses are you taking next semester? Because they want to be with their buddies in class, right? And so, but, but make sure you tell um, people though, but if you cannot make the time that the class is scheduled, it's recorded, and so you can It's sit. live, but mm -hmm. it's recorded, and yes. you can watch it three or four times. You can slow down the speed if you want. You can go back over parts that you, you know, I wasn't sure what he said at this, and then that access is lifetime access for you. Yeah. So there's, it's not like these companies that cut off your access after a period of time. Mm -hmm. So we, we give recommended readings. We, you know, all those resources will be online. So I am thrilled to say and to announce here that uh, this wonderful person, Bernadette Pager, took up the <laughs> challenge this summer to do a summer course with me co-teaching Medical Ethics, Informed Consent, and Human Rights, right? And in this particular course, just to give you an example, we're actually going to go back to the original source material to study things like early individual rights in medicine, what did they look like, who first came up with the idea that patients should have some rights. 
the what about early subject human experimentation. We're going to go back and read the Nuremberg Papers, and we're going to read the Helsinki Papers. We're going to look into the Doctrine of Informed Consent in the U.S. and the Doctrine of Informed Consent in Medical Research in the U.S. So there's informed consent for medical practice and informed consent for medical research. We're going to look into the right to tries and the DNRs. For those of you who know, there's a very, very dark side in COVID where the DNRs were issued by the hospitals, not by the patients. Explain to people what a DNR is, not all the no, that's a do that's a do not resuscitate. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about vaccine choice. Mm -hmm. And in the codified literature, in the codified uh, regulations for uh, the United States, we're going to talk about populations that have special protections, like pregnant women and children and un other vulnerable populations. Right. We're going back to the source material so that the next year, next month after the course, you, whatever the event is you're speaking at, you can cite chapter and verse the codes that protect you. It's not just an ephemeral kind of weird thing that's out there that you should have these rights. The fact is you do have certain rights and protections in the U.S. Constitution. You do have certain rights and protections that exist because they are inalienable to you. They are inalienable to you. So we are going to go into questions like, what are your privacy rights? And whether the, the, the U.S. government suspended HIPAA. Yes, they did. But why are you now? Why, importantly, are you now reading that they're saying, no, we never did that? Well, that's because people want to know which vaccinated doctors are getting COVID and things like that. They want to hide people that are getting COVID, right? So you're not supposed to know who's getting COVID now because they never suspended it. So we're going to look at those, at those of historical events now. What happens to executive powers during a time of crisis? What happens to any government power in the United States during a time of crisis? We're going to talk about that. I'll give you with a hint. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. The rights, you, the protections are there for times of crisis, but we're going to give yeah. you examples of that. And we're going to read the literature of people that are much better at saying that than I am, who have inspired generations of people to maintain and protect your rights during times of crisis. What about the constitutional infringements? We're going to talk about those, the constitutional infringements. And we have at least three guest speakers. Um, I'm to check my notes here. Oh, yeah, unforgettable. Mary Holland is going to be a guest speaker. And, oh, my gosh, Alvin Woody Moss, an wow. expert in bioethics. Yes. Right? So, And then we have a surprise guest speaker as well. So that's just one course this summer. The second course this summer is by um, Robert Rigney. He's an academic legal scholar. He's going to teach from my challenge to him. I said, listen, when, you, when they teach constitutional law, they just go through the Constitution and they say, okay, this is what the Constitution says. I want you to teach the course historical and current threats to the U.S. Constitution. And I want you to go through history, which he's an expert, he's a legal historian. And I want you to pull out the examples of the threats to the rights and the privileges, et cetera, to us. Uh, that are codified in the United in the United States Constitution, and I want to retract that word "privilege" because our rights are rights; they're not privileges. They're protected okay. by the government, not given by the government. And mm -hmm. so, go through the threats to the U.S. Constitution and, and in, in, based on historical events, the kind of thing that put us to sleep in social studies in high school, right? Is so important that people again, why? So you can cite chapter and verse that you can recognize this is a violation of this principle of the Fifth Amendment or the Ninth Amendment. And Bobby Kennedy in Ohio, at, at a dinner that I was just at with him two, three days ago, he went through and he said, 
they suspended the entire Bill of Rights in COVID-19, except for the Second Amendment. They, 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 they did away with all of them. He yeah. says it's amazing. I said, Bobby, that's brilliant. You need to write that up. It's a brilliant point. Could he maybe make a quick guest appearance? Can you ask him for that class now? Maybe. I don't know. But the point <laughs> is, I don't want to scoop him on his thing, but I'm saying that this in this course, if you don't know your constitutional rights, like the back of your hand, how can you stand up for them? And yeah. how can you help your children learn how to stand up for them? And so and, this this is a boot camp course, okay? So this yeah. is your constitutional boot camp. And these courses are only $180 each. It's like $12 a lecture. And you're giving yourself the gift of knowledge, giving yourself the gift of, of really hardcore, factual-based knowledge. My, the students in my immunology class, they said, whoa, whoa, Dr. Jack, you're, you're killing us. You're killing us. We don't know the background. I said, wait, wait, hang out for five weeks. After five weeks, go back and watch the first you know, five lectures. And they all did it. And they said, no, we get it. We understand immunology now, right? Yeah. So this is this is knowledge from a fire hose. Strap, yeah. strap yourself in, get ready, and uh, take as many courses as you can. We are absolutely in love with teaching you. We want to empower you. Knowledge is not something that should be held behind brick walls and, and leaked out semester after semester after semester in college and paid $50,000 a year. And then what? Now you're not even going to use that information because you think it's academic. No, this is not academic. Yeah. This is how it affects your life now. I'm, I'm so excited. It, it's it's exactly what we need. If, if everybody had taken these courses prior to COVID, they never would have been able to do to us what they did. Right. But, you know, COVID was just really, a, I believe, um, based on what I've been seeing, sort of a test run of where they want to go. And all the tools of lockdown and masking and, and these dangerous shots are not going away. They're not admitting that they failed and, they, and the harm they are doing. So take Jack's classes now. Tell your classes too now. And, well, yeah, I've got one. And, you know, and I've bragged about your classes before, before I had a class with you. And, and um, I, I do want to let... Uh, let everybody know that yeah i'm, I'm teaching and, and jack's got a setup where those who teach where do you say ipac-edu.org i love it yeah so i'm dedicating hang on. those them. people who just got your pen go ahead ipac-edu.org ipac i want to see yeah. you in class people yeah yeah oh and and i just wanted to plug this in i mean uh ipac has proven to be so, so useful in getting and, and so timely in getting out uh, critical information, uh, not just on COVID, but on a lot of other topics, environmental toxicology, genetics, yeah. immunology. And just uh, to inject right here, prior to 1995, Congress had the Office of Technology Assessment, the OTA. And these guys basically would tell Congress risk-benefit analysis all these things and basically told them this is high probability of being correct. This is low probability of being correct. The office is still existent, but completely defunded. Why? Because they were telling Congress what their paymasters did not want them to hear. And that's the reality of it. You know, I'm really honored by that comparison because we do want to empower people to tell the government what they know about reality. And, and that's the right way that this should go. The government should never tell itself what looks real. And, uh, I also want to give a plug for fall courses. So Andre and Angel and Tony, Angel and Tony, 
He has the vaccine course, and he taught it last fall to massive accolades. I mean, he had a huge enrollment too, but he just let me know. I just interviewed him uh, for my appearance on The Pulse uh, on, on America Out Loud. He just let me know that for most of his classes, he had an hour-long question and answer session at the end. That's a true dedication, right? So this is the vaccine course. It has its own page. If you go under more, okay, so if you go on, can you, if you can migrate to more, you'll see that that vaccine course is there. But if you click on registration, you'll see how people can, the best page is registration. If you just click on registration, then you can scroll down and see our current offerings all the way down at the bottom. That's just uh, art there, but there's some advertisement. So what do we have? Um, we have... Uh, the biology of nutrition uh, from old age to young age, environmental toxicology, bio-A. If you're going to take genetics with us, take bio-A. If you're going to take immunology with us, take bio-A and bio-B. Uh, um, the math of vaccine science this summer by, taught by an epidemiologist. Okay, this is, a, this is crazy. A microbiome master course where we're hitting microbi the, micro the issue of microbiome from all angles, from ecology to the actual microbiology of the microbiome, the gut-brain axis, uh, nutrition, something called foodology, where you know what to eat and cook. And if you scroll up some, there's some more courses there. The, the medical ethics and informed consent is right there. There's the constitutional course, preventing and reversing chronic illness, how not to be fooled is going to be taught by Mark McDonald, Dr. Mark McDonald. Uh, introduction to spreadsheets, if you just want to be able to handle data better. And what's happening is we're developing these curriculum tracks. So there's going to be a psychology track and a biology track and analytics. We want to add a, a, a philosophy track. And we want to add a track that's based on complex systems and neurolinguistics and cognitive sciences so that people can understand how to inoculate themselves, not only against disinformation, but also against AI nudges. Hey, I know just how do you know that your thoughts are your own when your computer screen, your, your laptop or your phone is telling you what to think? That's going to yeah. be a lot of fun. We're going right down into, you know, just in, in 30 seconds here. For instance, we're going to start with the fundamentals in that track. Did you know that if you pass information through any structure, any information processing structure, that that structure imposes limitations on the possible output of that information? And so that imposes a bias, and it doesn't matter what structure it is, it automatically does so. It constrains, these are called constraints. And so what AI can learn to do is overcome those constraints and, and convince you that, that, that pigs can fly. AI is so powerful and nuanced nudging. It's not subliminal. It's something else. It's beyond subliminal. Uh, but so this entire area is there's going to be like a, a, a forever webinar on computational neurolinguistics and what it is that they're doing with this with language with speaker after speaker after speaker week after week the uh, the great author victoria alexander is going to co-teach that with me she's brilliant she's beautiful she's a humanitarian she's a humanities major who's a well-known published fic uh, fictional author uh, of, of, of fiction who decided to go to the Santa Fe Institute to study complex systems. Santa Fe Institute to figure out where does the brain come up with the idea, with new ideas, where does novelty come from? And so we have this massive community that's kind of, IPEC-ED is becoming a strange attractor for people with good ideas that are that are under underappreciated in mainstream academia. 
And it doesn't make us fringe. It makes us, it doesn't make us alternative. We're just carrying certain torches this decade to make sure that the flame doesn't go out for yet another 10 years or so. So I hope you guys just fall in love with this. And you know, it's lifelong learning forever and ever. We're gonna keep adding courses faster than people can take them. So you're never gonna run out of courses. Um, and like I said, I just love, I love to teach and all my instructors love to teach and we're just gonna keep doing it until the, until the population of the earth is so well educated <laughs> that the technological oligarchs can no longer pull the wool over our eyes. Right. Now, and before you step in, sorry, um, just wanted to add this. One of the key criteria and one of the, the major dominant forces that is going to be in play as we move forward from this age on is that we will have to increase our learning metabolism in order to keep up with all the changes that are coming and to anticipate them. This is a, just a de facto process. And the fact that you have these online universities that are that are popping up where you where people are demanding information to learn about the world, that's just going to keep on increasing. And again, like you said, it's a strange attractor. But this is competition. And the ones that are going to win are going to provide the most accurate, easiest to digest, thoroughly best processed and taught that are going to succeed. And I think that's why, again, plugging IPAC here, I yeah. think that's why IPAC's going to succeed because there's also an, there's also an issue of integrity and in how to present the information with integrity and also with a human-centered approach. Oh, beautiful. Human-centered approach. Thank and it's, it's designed for the average person to be able to learn. You're not going somewhere where they have this expectation that you have all the science background. It's meant to empower everybody. That's not to say that you couldn't learn if you do have a science education, because believe me, Dr. Jack can take you where you can go. You can set your own ceiling of where you want to go. Well, let me give you a good example of that. So I'm teaching this immunology class, and we get into some topics of immunology. And someone, one of the students brings up the idea that maybe a lot of what we're seeing with autoimmunity might be parasites. I go, oh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, that's pretty interesting. And she goes, no, no, I'm a medical doctor and I treat people for parasites. And when they come into me with autoimmunity, I actually cure the parasite infection. And a lot of times their autoimmunity goes away. And I said, yeah, that makes a great deal of sense because parasites are more evolution related to us than say bacteria. So yeah, there's gonna be a lot of pathogenic priming and there's gonna be a lot of molecular mimicry and all of that that you'll learn in immunology. And so she goes, okay, great, thanks. Thank you, Dr. Jack. So another lecture went by and she brings up parasitology again, yeah. okay? And in a third lecture, parasitology again, and I could tell by the reaction on the screen of the 50 students that were in attendance that day, I said, you guys are telling me by your facial expressions that you want a course in parasitology and you can see all the heads going, yes. It, <laughs> and, and, and that you want Brigitte, Dr. Jensen, to teach this course, yes, yes. So they actually, um, what is it? They mutinied, my, my course mutinied, changed the direction of the course, got me to sign an entire instructor and uh, launch an entire course just on parasitology. I said, what do you think if we called it par your parasites and you? Yes, yes that's <laughs> great. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna make IPAC EDU your university and we're going to have merchandise so you could be true to your school and wear your colors right i don't like the idea of tribe i think tribalism is a bit primitive for what we're trying to attempt here but it certainly is something that you can identify with and recommend to others and so we're, we we have a great time in class it's oh. wide open and uh yeah please do come join us it's we're all learning together 
and you know, in an age when there's so much censorship and wokeness, and if you if you say the wrong thing, no matter how factual, you're booted off. You're so open to the needs and wants of your students that you actually will create a class because they're showing intense interest. And so let's go there. Let's yeah. find out yeah. more. I yeah. think that is so fantastic. And one thing I want to say that I so love is that your understanding of what is happening is is complete and complex in that it, we're not in a war of science. We do have to understand science to, un, to see what's BS and what's not and to see how they're trying to shift things. But we're in a war of language. We're in a war of AI, artificial intelligence. We're in, we're in a global war. And the classes that you're bringing um, address all of those areas that people need to be informed in so that, you know, there's just never been more time. What I think is so exciting as an adult learner, I mean, you don't care when you're a kid, but I'm going to, I predict there's going to be some amazing people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, just so excited about learning and have this whole reawakening about, yeah. That's exactly what we have. And they come up with the yeah. most interesting questions. And, you know, like one, one example is Dr. Brownstein's course, right? So he's teaching three, his first three lectures are on the thyroid. So people, I said, listen, he had to skip the class. How would you guys like to get my lecture of endo, on the endocrine system from biology B? Oh, yeah, great. That's, so, you know, we have the cross-curriculum kind of access uh, and we plug and play that way. But there was a student that said, hey, uh, you know, they put fluoride in the water. What about hail, uh, halide in um, in toothpaste instead of fluoride in toothpaste? Right? Well, mm-hmm. why, why not change the actual chemical? And Doctor Brown's Doctor Brownstein was like, "Are are are you a chemist? No, I'm an engineer. Are you a biologist? No, I'm an engineer. Right? So we have people. I have PhDs in engineering taking my class because they love what we're doing. They mm-hmm. just want to learn more. And there he is. And there he is. He just, just want to learn more. And we're going to just segue right with that. There's the Dr. Henry Ely, a.k.a. Dr. Henley, a.k.a. Dr. H. How are you feeling today, sir? Oh, wow. I'm doing good. What's up, Brother Jack? What's up, Bernadette? What's up, Xavier? What's up, Dr. X? <laughs> What's up, everybody? We're, the we're man, doing... the myth, the legend, Dr. H, my brother. How are you? Yeah. So, you know, I, I've introduced you many times to our listeners. I'll just give a, a, a quick overview. Naturopath, researcher, amazing um, activist exposing what the CDC is doing. Um, you know, you're, you're that renaissance man all over the place there, sir. So I'm so glad to have you here. And, you know, I wanted to marry you. Marry you. Sorry about that. I mean, pair I you with. I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my husband of 38 years might oppose that, but, um, but pair you up with Dr. Jack, because Dr. Jack's got iPad yeah. for you, which is empowering people in so many areas, yeah. so we can learn, take charge of our lives, change what's happening in this country, and make sure it never happens again. You have some similar things going on, um, and specifically, we're going to talk about COVIDCon and beyond with you, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, go ahead and just jump right in. 
Uh, well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me again today. Um, it's always a pleasure to be here and, and to be able to interact with your audience and everything. Um, we've, uh, we're going to do it again. We, we did something really special in October last year with COVIDCon, the Solution Summit. And what it allowed us to do was to say, not only get a lot of information out there to help people, but to really uh, help have people who are registered, people who donated, put together a really great pool of money so that we could do some things that we've been doing with that money since. So I want to say thank you to everyone who attended COVIDCon and uh, at the Solution Summit and say, come on back in, because thanks to you, we were able to file a grand jury petition with Senator Dennis Linthicum and Senator Ken Thatcher in the Ninth Circuit Court, right? And if you haven't read that, you can go to beyondthecon.com. We have it all laid out there. You can go ahead and grab it uh, and, and download the grand jury petition. You can download the um, frequently asked questions about grand juries for there because we want to educate, just like Brother Jack is saying right there. It's like, this is about educating us on how we can take control of our lives in so many different capacities. Um, we've also, Bernadette, been working with the React 19 uh, folks, uh, the people that have been injured by the shots, especially children and parents. And so a lot of the generosity that people showed us for the uh, original COVID con in October of 21, that money has now been used to go and help parents who've just been kicked to the curb by the government, ignored by the pharmaceutical industry. And, and, say, and, I, and I, I found out that this was happening and it blew my mind because I just had made the assumption wrongly that, um, that they were getting some kind of help somewhere, but they weren't getting help. They've been getting paraded around and for photo ops, but they haven't been getting help. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, nope, 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 nope. Come on out, come in, come in, uh, work with me. We'll, I'll put together a team of, of people that we can, we can start solving this problem. And we have a lot still to learn, but we've learned a lot in the first uh, six weeks uh, that we've been working with them. And we're going to share that at uh, Beyond the Con. So Beyond the Con is going to be May 12th through May 14th. It's coming up really quick. Uh, it's in person and it's virtual. So we're going to do that same thing again. We've, we've, tightened up some of the virtual problems that we had before so now if you're if you sign up and you're watching anywhere in the world it's going to be streamlined really really nice for you and uh, on may on saturday may 14th what i'm going to be doing is giving a presentation on everything we've learned so far in helping the injured community um so because a lot of doctors i'm seeing out there, there's a lot of good doctors a lot of good heart energy out there but what I've seen doctors making a fundamental mistake on, and I'm going to caution people on this, is they have started going from they're trying to get into recovery right off the bat. And you can't do that with someone who's injured. I've been working with injured kids uh, for, you know, well over 10, 15 years now. You have to first stop the decline. And that's the first thing therapeutically that we're going to get into everybody's head on uh, when I give the lecture. Then you can start talking about the next stage. And the next stage is so important, getting into real detoxification at the cellular level. You've got to get the cells in to clean out the garbage that's been put in there. And then from there, you can start talking about the third stage, which is regeneration. So we've kind of laid this out. Bernadette, we're going to be going over the tests that we're recommending for each stage. We're going to be going over the therapeutics that we think are indicated in each stage so that people understand that, that the professionals that want to jump in and help understand 
this is the logical start, uh, thought process for this. You don't throw the kitchen sink at these people all at once because their bodies can't handle it. You have to take a very detailed, pragmatic, logical approach to understanding what's happening at the cell level and then work from that outward. And that's that's what we're done. So I'm going to share what I've done. Uh, we're going to we got some other great folks over there. We got Dr. David Martin. We got Dr. Zelenko. We got Dr. Carrie Madej. We got Kevin Jenkins. We got some great people coming out. Uh, it's meant to be very intimate. Um, so that people can get their Q&As in and stuff like that. We got Nicola Burnett and John Hewlett and, and Tom Renz is going to give us a little update. But the idea is this, Burnett, Bernadette. We're going we're gonna to do this. Hope, health, freedom. One day on freedom, we're going to update everybody on what's going on on the criminal cases that have been filed. Not that, not just the injunctions, but the criminal cases that have been filed. Where are they? We just got word today that Brian Moyer, head of the National Vital Statistics System, just got served today. So he's just got served. I can't wait. We got one more to go. And then we've served everybody and the clock starts on the grand jury petition um, at the federal level. We're, we're gonna give updates on Thursday on that. And that day can be free. You can actually sign up for free. And if you sign up for free right there, you get chapter five out of my book, uh, The Art of Eating Healthy. Everybody's like, well, I eat healthy, I eat healthy, I eat healthy. Well, maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I got 15 <laughs> principles that I'm gonna share with you in that ebook right there. You get it for free so you can confirm whether or not you're eating healthy um, by definition. Then on Friday, we're going to get into health, Bernadette. We're going to be bringing up like Nicola Burnett. She's got this beautiful healing center in Las Vegas, and she's going to share a whole bunch of therapies that most of us have never even heard of that she does. And I can't wait to get that. Some of it's going to be, I know Dr. Sandra uh, has talked about the EE system, the energy enhancement system. And uh, I was talking with uh, Dr. Robert Young this past week about graphene oxide and how to get graphene oxide out of the interstitial space. I mean, there's Judy Mikovits has been giving me a, a, an IPAC EDU, if you will, education on, on epigenetics, you know, and, and how to access them and the importance of the methylation pathways. And you know what's crazy, Bernadette, we're seeing in these kids that are injured, their methylation pathways are severely disrupted. So I don't know if they already were MTHFR disorder bound or if that if the shot led them into it. But that's what we're seeing right now a great deal. And I, I've never really needed to address that in my practice before because we use the safe form of uh, five prime uh, methyl tetrahydrofolate anyway. But, you know, can, it's can you just explain to our readers? Or our yeah. listeners um, a little bit, because I know what you're talking about that with the MTHFR and all that, but explain you're talking about the um, the B supplements. Sure. Sure, yeah. sure. Let, let me let me let me simplify it as best I can. I, I'm still massively learning about this as well. Okay. But. I've always focused on the mitochondria within the cell. I've always focused on energy production. If I can get the cell producing energy, then the cell has a tendency to reestablish homeostasis and start healing itself. If I sprinkle in a little autophagocytosis using fasting or endocannabinoids, then we get another little, the, the cell corrects itself, right? 
But there's something else that we're learning that the mitochondria play an instrumental role in, and that's in cell signaling, cell communication. And I think um, Stephanie Seneff and Greg Nye just published a beautiful paper, a peer-reviewed paper on this um, and, and postulating what the what is going on in the people who've gotten the shots. And they've talked about exosomes and they talk about microRNA. And it's really a wonderful paper. If you haven't read it, check it out. It's, it really lays out a framework. So I grabbed that paper and I said, let's this it's well cited. It's well argued. Let's use this as a framework to start establishing what's going on in the cell. And what, what, the, what the research has carried me to is an understanding that the mitochondria do a lot more than just produce ATP. They really coordinate all cell communication after ATP has been established. And prior to the shots, you didn't have to worry about that in the cell because if you just get the mitochondria producing ATP, it pretty much self-corrects everything. But now with microRNA present, now with spike protein production present, now with the Lund study showing that there's a reverse transcriptase element to the, um, to the mRNA shots and that they are going to actually upload into the nucleus. When you start having those additional variables, what we're finding is that the microRNA and the spike protein are disrupting cell signaling, cell communication within the cell uh, greatly. And that's where we get into the realm of the methylation pathway. So I don't know whether the people who got injured had a, were already predisposed because they already had an undiagnosed um, methyl tetrahydrofolate re, uh, reductase disorder, or if it, 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 it initiated that in them. I don't know. We're going to have to do more research on that. But it doesn't matter. The cell is having a difficult time communicating within itself as a result of these shots. And I'm sure as a result of the deposition of the lipid nanoparticle and the graphene oxide and all the other crap that comes with it. So we have a very simple thought process we're going to teach at Beyond the Con um, on Saturday for the 14th. Rejuvenate the cell first. Detoxify the cell and the extracellular environment second. And set the stage for therapies like stem cell therapy, like hyperbaric oxygen. Set the stage for them to be regenerative for the cell and for the overall tissue. But we want to. But what we've seen happen so far is people are taking their shots at, and they're like, "I'm just going to throw everything at it." And it's like, that isn't going to work. It has to be a coordinated, sequential process of healing that you're taking someone through. And quite frankly, naturopathic medicine is poised for this because this is how we've been approaching the healing process for my entire career, at least. You know, is that we we look at this in stages rather than, yeah, the goal is over here. We got to get to the mountaintop, but I'm not going to try to get from the bottom of the mountaintop to the top without really taking every single step along the way. And that starts by understanding what's going on at the cell level. So we're going to share that information. I hope people are very curious about what we have to share because we've been able to stabilize patients and get that stalemate you have to get. We've been able to stalemate decline even in severe patients right now. So that's really, really exciting. Now we're about ready to start taking that next step with certain patients. And they look like they are primed and ready to go into phase two, which is going to be detoxification. And then we can get into that third stage regeneration. So we're, we're, we're on track here and I'm really excited about the future. Can, can you give us um, a hint? 
uh, at like maybe one element of stabilizing somebody who is newly vaccine injured. Sure, sure. So you get you you do your lab tests and you get your biomarkers, right? And your biomarkers are going to be, you know, your basic blood work, you know, what's going on, particularly in the inflammatory pathways. So you're going to be looking at the CRP, you're going to be looking at D-dimer, you're going to be looking at fibrinogen, you're going to be looking even at anti-nuclear antibody to see if that's been triggered. You're going to be looking at homocysteine, especially for the meth methylation pathways, right? And when you have all that information in front of you, you're going to see something very interesting. One of our preliminary questions with D-dimer was, what is D-dimer supposed to be? What are the levels supposed to be, right? So we were like, because we're seeing, you know, 300, 400 in, in their unit of measurement and everything. We're like, well, that's obviously. Can you, can you explain what's a simple way to understand what the heck D-dimer is? D-dimer tells us one thing. D-dimer is an end product of, uh, of clotting, whether it's micro clotting or macro clotting. It's an end product of clotting. It's the final degradation enzymatic breakdown of that clot. So if you're getting D-dimer levels elevated, what that's basically telling you is that you've had clots or that you have clotting going on in your cardiovascular system. And this is something Dr. Chetty really brought to the world's attention with his work uh, from South Africa about monitoring cases, because he was the first person I've, I remembered who stepped in and said, listen, you keep treating these people after they've gotten the, the SARS-CoV-2 infection, and it's maybe beyond day eight, you keep treating them like it's an infection. It's no longer an infection. It's now a secondary sequelae, a secondary pathology going on of clotting, of microclotting, and it doesn't show up in traditional imaging because it's microclotting. These are microclots in capillary beds and things like that going on. This is why you can shove as much oxygen down their throat as you want. You're just going to choke them. You're just going to suffocate them, right? And this is what we've been screaming about since. So we're using that marker that it's a basic lab test, but we had to ask, we had to answer the question, Bernadette. It was just like, well, what is the number supposed to be? What's the goal that we're trying to get to? Because it's not a, it's not something commonly that we've used. I'm so glad that Dr. Chetty was like, hey, let me go and look at this, right? Because, I mean, he really opened this up for everybody. And um, what we did, so we did a couple of tests on people who didn't get the shots, right, and, and are otherwise pretty healthy. It's like, I don't know what the number is supposed to be, so let's test it on some people, right? And so we test it, and guess what the number is supposed to be? non-detectable <laughs> so did you know that jack <laughs> he probably did yeah pretty much in the department in the pathophysiology of disease uh yeah you don't want any d-dimers uh thanks for thanks for let me pop in here um dr h brilliant man love you to forever ever uh people don't know this but six uh 70 of people that got serious covid with a COVID virus, with a SARS-CoV, that, that got serious COVID, had prior autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. So you're mentioning some of those things like, um, you know, the, the anti-nuclear antibodies, oh, the right, NAs. Right. But they, they also had antibodies to like lupus antibody, antibodies, you know, antiphospholipid antibodies. So they have this panoply of antibodies. And it turns out, I just sent you some of the scientific literature that, that the, the most commonly this disease-associated allele in the MTHFR system is also associated with COVID-19 diagnosis. So 
there's a selection process, right? And, and I was all excited and jazzed up about individualized medicine before, you know, the, the, the gov federal government came in and took over the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and, and the way to look at this, I think, is, is we have these people that are going to get sick based on they use up the glutathione too fast is the way to think about it. They That's simply it. can't detoxify. And so I love the path that you're taking where you say, hey, it might have been an infection lead to long haul COVID. It might have been the injection lead to these really strange, weird things that are happening in parts of the body. They don't even, it's never been associated with vaccines. It's hard to nail it down to anything genetic, MTHFR first, environmental exposure afterwards. On, on that question, it doesn't matter. You're born with a set of genes. You're entitled to have whatever genotype you have, whatever phenotype you have, without having to take these. Can I swear? Can I, yes. can I swear, Bernadette? <laughs> Drop it. Having, no, 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 no. <laughs> without, having, without having to be subjected to these corporate toxins. So now corporate is my bad word, okay? There these corporate bleeping toxins, okay? Uh, you're entitled to that. It's a basic human right to have your genotype, to have your phenotype. But once you're sick then, right, it turns out only 7 or 8% of people that have mild COVID actually have any autoimmune, prior autoimmunity. So you're predisposed to problems with vaccines in part because, well, vaccines contain toxic things, but also because once you stress that system and you start having symptoms and you get this allopathic medicine piled on top, like mom's taught me, acetaminophen, Tylenol, you're stressing out your glutathione, you're not feeling that well, so you're not eating right, you don't take your veggies and vitamins, right? You don't have the great stuff to, to tag the toxins so the liver can take it out. You, you end up with an overload of toxins of all kinds, you simply stop cleaning out all things. And so this is why we talk about holistic medicine. This is why we talk about 360 degrees of health. And I love you, brother. You're gonna help so many people with this conference. Hey, let me let me let me drop this on you, dude. So check this out. We started giving some curcuma, right? And intravenously. Horrible results. It was too early, right? It was like, oh my God, I thought that was going to be help with the inflammatory cascades. It did just the opposite in them. So I was like, okay, crap. Then we tried a little bit of glutathione. Same thing. And so that's what had me start backing off and going, okay, I can't make these same assumptions that I've made about how a cell is going to function, cell biochemistry is going to function anymore for these people they're in a completely different one so that's what started dialing us back i had a situation brother jack where i had a a, a little girl who um i had i had given some just a multivitamin i'm just trying to drive the pathway but i wasn't so um anal like i usually am about the the five methyl tetrahydrofolate form and so we saw immediate regression in her and I was like, oh crap, I think we might have toxic buildup here and she can't convert. So then we tested her and that's when we found out. It's like, oh crap, all right. So I don't know if the shots launched that or not. I don't know if it was pre-existing. We'll figure that out as we go, I'm sure. But yeah. what's really interesting was it, it brought me to an understanding of, okay, let's be incredibly safe. And when you talk to the parents, they'll tell you, they're like, you got to give these kids one thing at a time because you don't know what they're not going to be able to handle. You got to walk so slowly with them to, and then you got, and then once you build that up, now you get to a stalemate. Then it becomes this whole extra monster of, okay, now we got to switch from this stage. We know we can stalemate into detoxification. 
And then I start getting really concerned, especially if I do like a heavy metal pre and post challenge on them and you start seeing that Mercury is a player. Right. That's going to be a, that's a whole nother. So I was like, OK, well, how are we going to deal with that? We can't use DMSA and calcium EDTA and DMPS really, even though I'd like to. So what do we got to do? Well, we got to get them in the saunas. We got to get them in the infrared. Sa- but you see, once you start getting things organized, what happens is the therapeutics start to appear for you, which ones are indicated. And I suspect that's at that stage, we'll be able to reintroduce glutathione intravenously and it'll be successful as opposed to seemingly yep. toxic for them. You could have a nonlinear effect there too. So you might want to look for hormesis for some things that otherwise might be bad for kids with uh, those conditions. So, so when you think about all of this, you, you know, the homeostasis in the body, there's multiple places. People, if you ever noticed, most people notice this, that they have certain weights towards, that they tend to, try, tend to gravitate to, certain numbers on the scale, right? Like I'm a 185 on my good days, I'm a 210. I'm only, ever, I have three weights, 185, 210, and 226. <laughs> that's it. I've got three weights and that's it, okay? And, and, I, and, and so homeostasis, it, it, what you're talking about, there's like a three-dimensional landscape you have these kind of peaks where things are stable. You know, you've got the valleys where things are stable and peaks where you're like wild, you can go off anywhere. And so to move them gently from one, that's so consistent with your character, to move them gently from one un, you know, stable position to another, even though it's dysfunctional and patho, you know, pathological, it's, there's, life seeks stability. Life just balances out the, the equations. And so to, to, to adjust them. So I'm thinking maybe you know, maybe some of your algae to help. We, we've started doing the biome. Totally. We've started right. that. We've started getting the, the chlorophyll levels up. I mean, one of the Chlorella, things that was Lena, just a little bit to let the mang- glutathione yeah. that exists, pick up those toxins. Right, better. right, right. Well, what, yeah. what, we, what we did was we said, okay, we can't really go after the P450 cytochrome system until you get into the second stage, right? Because that's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. So, and that's going to be heavily glutathione driven. It's one of the seven major pathways, right? But what we're seeing with this is that I, I, we have to really take things back down to a mineral level. And this is where I think Dr. Robert Young had some really brilliant insights. We were talking for hours on, I just met him and he's just such a good dude. Um, and he was like, listen, you, the fundamental is the environment of the cell. And you have to have faith that the cell knows how to heal itself, but you've got to develop the outside external environment for the cell. And he said, guess what that comes back to? The same things we've all been talking about for decades upon decades, which is mineral salt deposition. You've got to have your four majors in there, your sodium, your potassium, your magnesium, and your calcium. You've got to create that environment for the cell to be able to enjoy itself. When you do that, now the cell, if you're giving it that one, and this is, I think, my contribution to all this, is autophagocytosis. You get the person into a repetitive cycle of autophagocytosis with the cell in the right interstitial fluid environment. And what's going to happen is the cell is going to have all the nutrients it needs to carry out its healing functions, including cleavage of the um, of the transcribed reverse transcribed DNA 
out of the out of the chromosomal pattern. What did you say? I can't I can't read Fantastic it. Fantastic geek out time. Yeah, and, oh, and we nerd it out. Yeah, we, we nerd out. And, and we've got two minutes here, but I, <laughs> I want to tell in, in, in two minutes. Let me let me lay some stuff on you. That that UVB light, okay? You're yeah. actually moving them from TH2 skew to TH2, TH1 balance. So will your probiotics, okay? So the immune yeah. system. Then you're right. What about licorice? You got to try some licorice yeah. because you got the glyrosine okay. that in, increases okay. the gamma. It decreases the TH2 response. I, I mean, want to tell people, and, Jeff. And, and okay, okay, okay. okay. But I want to. This is fantastic. I think people are fired up to go to both of your websites. So, Jack, go thirty seconds. Where do we go? For me, it's ipak edu.org and better yet, popular rationalism on substack.com because I'm going to be posting news about every course on popular rationalism at substack.com. That's fantastic. And Dr. H, where do we go for you? You know, uh, for folks that want to attend the conference, go to beyondthecon.com and you can sign up for the free first day. If you're if you're like, look, I already got it, doc, but I want to learn how to really make this nutrition stuff work, go to energetichealthinstitute.org, find us, find me, and me and Jack are connected. So when you find yeah. me, you can <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has been one of my favorite hours of radio, gentlemen. All three of you, fantastic! Thank you so much. Um, you know, if did you, I mention you quercetin? Quercetin's good quercetin. for okay. correcting the TH2 skew. <laughs> okay, guys. Um, if, if you miss where to go, just email Bernadette at informedchoicewell.org, and I'll tell you. I'll give you the links. So, uh, thank you, everybody. You've been listening to an informed life radio at 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We'll be back next week. Good night, guys. Good night. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above 
above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.